0: James chapter number 1. We're going to kind of break the mold this evening, move away from the church prayer list and look at something a little bit different. James chapter 1, and we're going to look at two verses tonight, verses 26 and 27. James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. So much wisdom uh, packed into this tiny little book, book of just five chapters. Um, We're going to look at the end of chapter 1 tonight in a sermon entitled, Let's be real. Let's be real. You're going to need your Bible tonight. The opening scripture is what's going to be on the screen. Otherwise, we are going to be turning in our Bibles to the passages. If you need one, there's one there in front of you. If you don't have one on your phone or tablet or a Bible in your hand, there is a Bible in front of you in the pew. And you are encouraged to use that If you need a Bible, consider that our gift to you. James 1, once you found it, stand with me, if you would, out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read these two verses together in unison. The Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep Himself unspotted from the world. Father, I pray tonight as we look at this passage and consider what it means to be real. To be real. I pray that on this Wednesday night, Lord, many of us are tired. We've had a lot of things going on this week, many of us have burdens. Lord, I pray that you'd give our hearts calm, that you'd give our hearts and minds and attentiveness that we might both hear and heed everything the Spirit of God has for us tonight. Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You ever considered the cost of counterfeits? It really is quite astounding. It is estimated that up to $200 million dollars of current currency, is counterfeit. $200 million of counterfeit currency in the system today. But that's not where the fraud ends. The U.S. economy is actually hit with quite a bit of fraud. Scams uh, affect the U.S. economy to the tune of about $830 million a year. Counterfeit checks cost about $1. Point zero two four billion dollars annually. Counterfeit goods, this is the one that surprised me, watches, purses, clothes, things like that, uh, amount to about 37.3 billion dollars a year. They estimate that counterfeit goods actually cost the global economy over 2.3 trillion dollars every year. That's a lot of Folex watches. A whole lot of them. This means that counterfeiting is costing the U.S. economy almost $300 billion a year. How many of us recognize when we hear those numbers that fakes cost us all? They do. But far more dangerous and detrimental than counterfeit currency is counterfeit, fake, or empty religion. James here at the end of chapter 1, he draws a distinction for us between empty religion and, and pure religion. Now, in both the physical and spiritual realms, it's helpful for us to know that the way to identify the fake is to intimately know what is real. Church, God doesn't call us to religion and ritual. Rather, God calls us to regeneration and relationship. But we've got to be very careful because it is easy for counterfeit to slip in. So tonight, here's what we want to do. We want to look at these two verses. Expose the counterfeit of the devil and be encouraged to have a real life and love for the Lord. Let's look at a couple of things tonight in this passage. James says in verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue... But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Consider with me first, uh, let's be real, church. If it's not personal, it's empty. Amen. That's true. If it's not personal, it's empty. You look at this whole passage. I mean, you can even go back to verse number 23. Uh, uh, Look, if you would, uh, back James 1, pick up in verse 23. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. I want you to notice the pronouns that are used here. uh, We see verse 23. We see he... We see his, verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious. All down the line, what do we find? We find that the pronouns used are singular. In other words, true religion, true spirituality is a personal thing. And if it's not personal, it's empty. We see any, we see his, we see his, we see himself, he, man, any man, he, his, himself. Relationships with God are personal. Now let me make this statement. Institutional religion is one of Satan's greatest counterfeits ever. Okay? Okay? The church will not get you to heaven. The church does not make you right with God. On my podcast that the college and career has me doing, yeah, you can tell I'm super comfortable with that, right? They had me answer this question. Are Catholics Christians? Oh, boy, is right. That was the one where I got a lot of hate back online. The world did not like the answer to that question. But here's how I immediately addressed that question. I said, that's a bad question for this reason. Christianity or being a Christian has never been an institutional thing. It's never been about being a Catholic, being a Methodist, being a Baptist, being a Presbyterian, being this, being that, whatever. Being a Christian is not an institutional thing. It is an individual thing. And here's the thing about true spirituality or true pure religion, whatever you want to call it. If it's not personal, it's empty. The church won't get you to heaven. Being a part of a ministry won't get you to heaven. If it's not personal, it's empty. The reality is every person will stand before God for themselves by themselves. You're not going to get to heaven because grandma was a Christian. You're not going to get to heaven because grandpa was a preacher. You're not going to get to heaven because your mom and daddy went to church. You're not going to get to heaven because even you went to church. Hear me. Every person will stand before God for themselves by themselves. And the reality is, you better know where you stand with God before you stand before God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 5, Paul admonishes the believers there to examine themselves, whether they be in the faith. I'm going to tell you the relationship that matters is the relationship between you and God. It's not about my standing here. It's not about what other people think of me. Whether the person next to me thinks I'm saved. It's not about whether the preacher likes me or doesn't like me. It's not even about my service here or my ministry here. It's about a real living Personal relationship with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me show you the saddest verses in all the Bible. Keep your finger in James 1 and look over in Matthew 7. Keep your fingers in James 1 and look over, if you would, in Matthew 7. These, I think to me, outside of the end of the book of Revelation, are some of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, and beginning in verse number 21. Jesus said here, he said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity you see if it's not real if it's not personal rather sorry if it's not personal it's empty and this is about you having a real living personal relationship with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ I'll give you this as well. It's also not about whether I know about Him. You you see, there's a lot of people who trade knowing about Jesus for an actual relationship with Jesus. But knowing about Jesus isn't going to cut it. That's not what a relationship is. It's not about knowing about Him. It's about whether I know Him and whether or not He knows me. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of substitutes out there for salvation. There's church membership, there's baptism, there's good works, there's good intentions, there's, uh, there's, there's being well-liked by the crowd you're a part of. There's a lot of substitutes out there for salvation. It's if you give enough money or do enough good things. But here's the thing, every one of those substitutes will send you straight to hell. And salvation would be a terrible area in which to accept a substitute. Because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say, preacher, it's a Wednesday night. Why, Why are you sitting here for so long? Why are we talking about this? Because the reality is there are probably people here, probably people listening and watching who, who aren't sure where they stand with God. When they, re- when they turn off the TV. And when they put down their phone. Th- there's that little nagging voice inside. And they just don't know where they stand with God. Here's the thing. God's word was given to us. The gospel of John tells us that these things are written that we might know that we have eternal life. The book of 1 John is written that we might know that we know that we have eternal life. I mean, all throughout the scripture, ours is not a hope so, maybe so, fingers crossed, 95% sure. That's not what this is. and I, I stay here and I preach this even on a Wednesday night because odds are there is someone here who if they don't make a decision for Christ tonight, they will go home, pillow their head, and be tormented in their heart because they don't know where they stand with God. I beg you, if you don't know, if you have doubts, if you don't know, get it settled. My prayer is that God keeps you up at night until you do get it settled. And here's the thing. If God does keep you up at night, get it settled. If you need to talk to somebody, you know what you do? Call me or text me. Here's the thing. Scammers texted me this morning at 5.30 to tell me there was something wrong with my Amazon account again. I'm probably up anyways. Get it settled. Young person, get it settled. Because we're not promised tomorrow. Used to be young person, get it settled. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. Here's the thing. Let's be real. If it's not personal, it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. So let's be real, church. What is this thing about true, pure religion, true spirituality? Well, Roman numeral one, let's be real. If it's not personal, it's empty. But look at verse 26 again. He says, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridle if not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Roman numeral two tonight, let's be real. If it's not practical, it's empty. If it's not practical, it's empty. A life of empty religion is marked by unchanged conduct. That's right, amen. That's right. When it says this man's religion is vain, it means that it is empty or worthless. The simple truth is this. The day you got saved, everything changed. Amen. That's right. amen. That is the simple, amen. undeniable, undebatable, Truth. The day you got saved, everything changed. Because Jesus changes everything. Let me ask you how could the blood of Jesus applied to you not change you? Let me ask you how could the indwelling spirit of God not change you? Here's the deal Timothy moved into my house about six months ago, it changed. Definitely changed the dynamic of what was going on. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit of God is a little bit bigger than Timothy. How could he move in and not change the dynamic of what was going on? How could the blood of Jesus applied to your soul not change things? How could the Holy Spirit of God move into your life, into your body and not change things? How could you be adopted into God's family and it not change you? Jesus changes everything. Period. Without debate In discussion. I've given the illustration before of the idea that I got hit by a semi or got blown up by a bomb. One time I told the story too good and half the people believed it. I really didn't get blown up by a bomb. But the reality is, is there's a far greater probability that, that I could experience the force of a bomb than, and remain unchanged than I could experience the soul-saving power of God and remain unchanged. You see, He is greater than anything this world has to offer. So much so that the Bible calls us new creatures. You know 2 Corinthians 5.17 Wherefore if any man be in Christ he is a what? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. What does it say? Behold, all things are become new. We are recreated in the image of Christ. We are born again into the family of God. And what the Bible tells us happens is literal transformation. It is more than just growth and development. There's this idea out there that when we come to Christ, oh, now we can just finally grow into what God wants us to be. I'm going to tell you, it's so much more than that. When we come to Christ, it's not just that I grow and develop. No, I am transformed into a new creature. In the book of Romans, you know what it says. He talks about, be ye transformed. The word there in Romans 12 too, The Greek word is the word for which we get our English word, a metamorphosis. This is when the caterpillar turns into the butterfly. Let me ask you, is it just that the caterpillar becomes a more fully developed caterpillar? No, the caterpillar is changed forever. Amen. Yes. Irrevocably. Forever. It looks different. It moves different. It, it, it wants different things. It lives with a different purpose. It is a new creature. That's right. Amen. And so are we in Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's be real. Real if it isn't practical it's empty it's empty it's empty in james here he gives the example of what a man who bridles not or doesn't control his what tongue, tongue. tongue. Hoo, hoo, hoo. why do you think the tongue is such an apt point for us to consider because what did jesus say the tongue is directly tied to the heart, and in fact, what comes alpha out of our mouth, what comes through our tongue, is drawn up from the well of our heart. Jesus says, "A good man from the good treasure of his heart will bring forth good things." But an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth evil things. If you look over in James chapter 3, James is going to talk about it more. And he talks about James 3 and verse number 10. Turn the page, you can look there with me. And verse number, look at verse number 9. He says, Therewith we bless God, even the Father. Therewith we curse men, which are made after the similitude or likeness of God. He said, Out of the same mouth, verse 10, proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brother, and bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain yield both salt, water, and fresh. Your tongue is tied to your heart. By the way, that's why sins of the tongue are so telling. When we gossip... When we criticize. By the way, gossip. Gossip is something we got to watch out for. It's easy to spiritualize gossip. But it's still gossip. Murmuring and complaining. Your tongue is tied to your heart. It's a very practical and telling picture. But the reality here is that if uh, if a life of following Jesus isn't practical, if it if it doesn't lead to practical change, if it if it doesn't change how we live, a life a uh, following uh, a life of following Jesus, if it isn't practical, then it is practically worthless. What did Jesus say? If the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing. Second Timothy three in verse number five, just a couple of pages over. What does Paul admonish there? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know the real deal? Simply put, it'll be real. It'll be real. It'll be real in our day-to-day lives. It'll be real when we're under pressure. It'll be real when, we, when we're convicted that we've done wrong. It'll be real. And it changes us. Period. So let's be real tonight as we consider this idea of true spirituality or pure religion. Let's be real. Number one, we saw if it's not personal, it's what? Empty. Empty. Number 2 we saw if it's not practical it's it's empty a life of empty religion is marked by unchanged conduct i don't worry about the people who recognize they struggle i worry about the people who struggle and don't recognize it and the reality is by the way we all struggle If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, it's empty, it's worthless. But pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So let's be real. Number one, if it's not personal, it's empty. Number two, if it's not practical, it's empty. Number three tonight, from verse 27, if it's not pure, it's empty. So we said real religion needs to be real. Pure religion needs to be pure. You see, empty religion is totally backwards. Vain religion, worthless religion, empty religion, it works hard to show God how important and good we really are. That's what vain religion does. But true spirituality is being humble enough To allow God to reveal His greatness to us and through us. It works from the inside out. It works through and through. It is more than a list of do's and don'ts that we have to check off each day. And so Paul here, as he talks about pure religion, undefiled before God, he gives, some, he gives some things that it will produce here. He's dealing with fruit here. It's helpful for us to understand what fruit is. Because a lot of times we get a little, little, get a little off on this. Fruit is simply this. Fruit is simply the natural expression of the nature of an object. Fruit is simply the natural expression of the nature of an object. It it, it is showing what that end result or matured process brings. And so therefore, a tomato plant, when it matures, what does it bring forth? An apple tree, when it matures, what does it bring forth? Apples. A pear tree. When it matures, what does it bring forth? It's not hard, right? A cucumber vine. When it matures, what does it bring forth? Cucumbers. Cucumbers. Why? Because it's, it's, it's its nature to do so. So fruit is simply the natural expression of the nature of an object. You know, maybe that's why trying to manufacture a fruit is so frustratingly impossible. But when the Spirit of God works in us and through us, church, the fruit is telling and obvious. Consider with me over in Galatians 5, we, we see a list of the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that the Spirit of God will produce in our hearts and lives. Galatians 5, we're turning there together. We're going to look at verses 22 and 23. We'll read them together, familiar verses to us. This here is the fruit of the Spirit. Bible says, let's read it together, verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So when the Spirit of God is in control, this is what is naturally produced in the life of a believer. I don't have to go, oh, I want to love, her, and try to force the love. No. If the Spirit of God is in control, love is what is produced. Love is what is produced. When the Spirit of God is in control, there are going to be some times that, "Mm, I want to put some people in their place. I want to show people where I am and where I'm and where they belong. But you know, there's something called meekness. Meekness isn't weakness, it's strength under control. It's strength under control. And the Holy Spirit comes along and He says, bridle that, big boy. It'll be okay. You see, when the Spirit of God is in control, it pro- He produces things in our lives. And through our lives, it is the natural outworking of the nature of the Spirit of God. And so we're dealing with fruit here. The Spirit of God works in us and through us and the fruit is telling and obvious. And so James here in chapter 1 and verse 27, he gives a couple of particular examples here. He says, he talks about this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so again, this is not a checklist, so to speak, but this will be a part of what is that natural outworking of the Spirit of God in our lives. What do we see? We see a love for and a service to others. James mentions here loving and serving those who are most vulnerable and needy. The fatherless, meaning orphans and widows, those who have lost their husband. These were the most vulnerable. These were the most needy. They had, in the ancient times especially, they had no means really of providing income. They had no real means of providing themselves protection. They were needy. They were vulnerable. And, hmm... What were those fruits of the Spirit again? What was the first one? Love. love. Hmm. Do you think love would motivate us to step in? Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Do you think gentleness and goodness would motivate us, move us to step in? Absolutely. And so this is a natural example of things that the Spirit of God produces when this thing is Real. By the way, not only are these the most vulnerable and needy, these are also those who are least able to reciprocate. Meaning I can do for the orphan and I can do for the widow, but odds are they're not going to be able to do for me in return. The whole I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, that's that's not this. That's I'm going to serve you with the recognition that you, you really can provide nothing of means or substance in return. And might I point out as well, when it says here to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, the word visit means more than just showing up. It means to relieve. In other words, I'm looking at them in their infliction and their hardships and their struggles and, and, and the things that they are lacking. And I am moving in to help meet that need and relieve that pain. I'm doing what I can. Giving of myself to somebody who cannot give in return to make their lives better for the glory of God. That's what I'm doing. The what's in it for me. I call it the Christian attitude. The the I want it my way. Whole lot of us, I'm happy I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to serve just so long as you give me what I want. I'll let you in on a little secret. None of us get everything we want. <laughs> me too. We all have to give and Not in a sinful way, compromise and work with one another and and be forbearing and patient and long-suffering with one another and merciful and gracious with one another and and, and, and gracious to one another. But to give and to serve and to love and to help. And James says this thing, if it's real, there'll be a purity about it. That what's in us can't help but come out of us and impact those around us. But you know, that's not all we see here. We see service, but we also see separation. He says to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That idea of unspotted, it means untainted. You know, I think that there's a lot of people who think they're they're doing okay because they're just avoiding the, you know, really bad stuff. But what do we see in the Scripture? We see Paul admonish us in a, in a, in a different place that we need to abstain from every appearance of evil of all kinds of evil the idea of unspotted think about it this way the world is a cesspool Amen. think of it like a giant nasty oil mud everything yucky pit and they're all in there playing you ever seen a kid in a mud pit before making mud pies and throwing mud pies and jumping up and down and rolling all around you know what i learned I learned when I had kids that I didn't have to get in the mud pit to get muddy. Can I get a witness? But if I were near enough to the mud pit, do you know what I would find? That my garments or myself had become spotted. Little was all it took. And I would be spotted. You see, here's the thing, church. This thing of true religion, pure religion, it is is a life of service that the Holy Spirit of God moves us to love and to serve others, to seek their highest good without thought of return. But it's also a life of separation. Meaning, we're, we're not playing in the mud, but when we're hanging out by the mud pit, you know what we get? We get spotted, we get stained. Now, we know when that happens that the Word of God, the washing of the water, it cleanses us. Amen? That we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But here's the thing. If you don't want to get money, stay away from the mud pit. Stay away from the mud pit. Now, let me make an important distinction here, all right? This is not always or exclusively... An issue of physical distance. Now physically, we think the mud pit, I just need to stay in the house, right? The kids can do their thing, I'll do my thing, and then when they're done, I'll take the garden hose to them. Amen? Yeah. So physically, we think of distance. Spiritually, I'm going to tell you, it's not always an issue of physical distance. What do you mean by that? I mean, God doesn't call us to a life of isolation, we're not called to all huddle in the church house because they're messy outside. That's not what God calls us to. We're not called to huddle up and stay away. We're not called to circle the wagons till Jesus comes. No, we, we should still be ha- having compassion, making a difference. W- with that compassion, uh, you know, stay, pulling them out of the fire, Jude says. So it's not always an element of physical Distance, Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, we saw it. Not that we should be separate from from all fornicators and idolaters. Otherwise, we'd have to come out of the world. We need to be here to make an impact and to have influence. So it's not so much a physical distancing all the time as it is spiritual discernment. It's a matter of spiritual discernment. And God giving us the wisdom. to be able to influence the world without the world influencing us. God giving us the wisdom to to be able to, to preach and to teach the truth to sinners without sinners being able to spot and stain us. But church, if it's real... James is clear. When it's real, it will be real from the inside out. And it will be real through and through. Let's be real, church. Number one, if it's not what? If it's not personal, it's empty. Let me ask you, if you were to stand before God tonight. If you were to stand before God tonight. Would you be headed to heaven or hell? You know, the world says, well, all roads lead to God. Well, I I guess so, in that every knee shall bow. And everyone will give an account. But not all roads end with the same result. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't go that way, you're not going to end up where you want. Let me ask you, if you died tonight, Would you be heading to heaven or hell? Do you know? I hope so. If you don't, I I pray. Get it settled. Get it settled. Get it settled. If it's not personal, it's empty. Number two, if it's not what? If it's not practical, it's empty. A life of empty religion is marked by unchanged conduct. tell you, if the spirit of the living God lives within you, it'll change the dynamic. Not that we ever attain sinless perfection this side of heaven, but every day I am motivated to sin less because God lives within me. It's not practical. It's empty. Number three, if it's not pure. It's empty. It's pure. It's inside out. It is through and through. It is sincere. It is unspotted. It is life of service. Church, I'm going to tell you more than anything, we need real. We need real. We need mama and daddies who are real. Who whose spouses and whose kids hear them talk about God and know that it's real. Hear them pray and know that it's real. See them read God's word and know that it's real. More than anything, we need real. We need Sunday school teachers who get up and teach and and, and you know it's real. We need musicians and singers who get up and and praise the Lord in song and you know it's real. You know it's real. You know what your work needs you know what your neighborhood needs real real i'm gonna tell you it costs too much to be fake so many are looking for something real church i pray that they find it